Good morning. It's good to see you. We are in part two of a series we're really excited about. It is not just a four-week series. It is an introduction to a process that we're initiating for support and training to uh, take care of any hurts, habits, hang-ups that you might have. Uh, so this whole series is a promotion as well as instruction. So I hope that this will be helpful to you today. We're going to begin today with a story. This was told in 1993 by Pastor Rick Warren about one of his staff members. I believe he began his sermon this way. Some of you are unaware that this last week, when it rained so hard on Monday, there was a portion of Lake Forest that flooded, and Glenn, their staff member, lives down in one of those low areas. The Orange County Register sent a reporter out there and found Joanne, Glenn's wife, sitting on the roof as things were floating by. He climbed up on the roof, and the first thing he saw was a chicken coop floating by. Then he saw a horse. Then he saw a VW bug floating by. Then after a few minutes, he saw a hat floating by. But after it got about 20 feet past the house, the hat started floating back, <laughs> upstream. Then it got about 20 feet on the other side of the house, and it started floating back down again. And the reporter watched this seven or eight times, and finally he said, Mrs., whatever her last name is, do you have any idea what that hat is? She said, yeah, that's my crazy husband. Glenn, he said he was going to mow the lawn come hell or high water. The problem we have today is that a lot of us are still focusing on the lawn while the home is floating downstream. God will not deliver you from your problem until you agree that it is a problem and ask him for help. That's what this whole series is all about. God will not deliver you from your problem until you agree that it is a problem, and ask him for help. That particular quote is our theme for today. You're going to hear me say it repeatedly today. Our topic, Regen, week two, is step two. Don't deny your hurt. Don't deny your hurt. Now, last week we began with Jesus' kingdom manifesto, his first statement in the Sermon on the Mount, and it was a puzzling statement in Matthew 5, 3. It went like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed? The poor in spirit? Puzzling. We focused all last week on that only by admission, and here's the admission, I'm spiritually bankrupt and I need a savior, only by admission do I gain admission into the kingdom of heaven? That was his first kingdom manifesto statement. His second kingdom manifesto statement is our focus for today. It's Matthew 5, 4, the next verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, puzzling. Blessed are those who mourn? I mean, you don't feel blessed while you're in mourning. But again, it fits rather well when you think of these steps. Step one, admit you have a problem. Step two, have the appropriate emotion about your problem. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, some believers admit that they have a problem, and they have no problem admitting that. But they don't have the appropriate emotion that goes with admitting their problem, and that emotion is a sadness regarding their problem. They're actually not sad about their problem, even though they admit it's a problem. And they really don't want to change. And that's strange, particularly for believers, but many believers do this. It goes something like this. I admit that I'm not good like God, and I admit that I need a savior. After all, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. So what I want is forgiveness, but if they were to be honest, they're not actually sad about their sin, they just want to be forgiven, they don't want to change. In our house, and I've noticed it's filtered down to my grandchildren, when something's not quite right, they go, uh, as to to let you know that it's not right. Even my three-year-old grandson just says, uh, to let you know something's off here. And so I'm letting you know, oh, there's a problem here. It's a similar kind of believing going on that demons and the devil himself believe. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Just to let you know, um, the first declaration that Jesus was the Son of God while he was on his earthly ministry was stated by demons, and they did it repeatedly. But the dissimilarity between the people that are uh, wanting forgiveness but not wanting to change is that they believe in God, yes, But the demons knew, by saying things like this, what do you have to do with us, the Holy One of God? Have you come to torture us before our time? They knew they were opposed to God. And believers have a dissimilar belief system with this similar belief system. They believe in their heads there is a God. But they want to hang on to forgiveness and do nothing about their sin. Uh, There's a problem with this. And if we didn't know what Jesus said here, we would just go with admit that you have a problem and you think you've gone far enough. But what we need to go to is the place where our emotion about the problem is appropriate in that it matches God's emotion about the problem as well. And that's why blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Point number one, those who are sad about their sin are blessed. So the problem with admitting you have a problem and not being sad about your sin, even though you admit it's a sin, admit it's a problem, is that you have an inappropriate emotion, and so you aren't really admitting there's a problem. On the the screen again, what I read earlier, God will not deliver you from your problem until you agree that it is a problem and ask him for help. Now let's just define agree a little bit 
Not just agree there is a God, not just agree you're not good like God, but agree in the way that God views the problem, the way he thinks. Agree in the way that God desires your problem to change, the way he desires, and agree with his emotion about how terrible this is for you. That's the kind of agreement that we're talking about. Now, there are many reasons why people fail to agree with God about their problem. Sin offers many temporary payoffs. Now, some of us believers are uncomfortable even saying that, but it's true. Sin offers temporary relief, temporary pleasure, temporary laughter, temporary frivolity, perhaps numbness or forgetting your pain, a momentary sense of well-being. Notice every single time I'm saying temporary, temporary, temporary. This is the seduction, to go for the temporary instead of see where it's taking you into the eternal. And so people like what they feel momentarily. And it's why we rationalize. Rationalize. That's a great word. We are saying excuses for our sins with rational lies. And when we say excuses for our sins as we're rationalizing our sin, we're saying it to others to make it sound not as bad. And literally, the more frequently we have that rationalizing taking place in our mind, we begin to believe it ourselves, and the scripture calls this self-deception. Sin will cause you to go into a self-deception where you believe your own rational lies. It's all a form of denial. We're denying that the problem is a problem. So when I get on the scale and I subtract 25 pounds for the clothes that I'm wearing, that's denial. Well, come on, you're laughing. But I mean, I had the iPhone and my keys and my belt and my wallet and my shoes. That's denial. Rational lies to say it's okay. And when my friends tell me, you have a problem, and I say, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's denial, okay? What's the solution to denial? The best solution is regeneration. Now, we've talked about it last week in some detail. Let me remind us the scripture we talked about last week, Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is Paul speaking about what he once used to be. Regeneration has taken place in such a way where he's not denying. In fact, he's saying things about his past that he never said before, nor did he ever believe that he was that bad. But now that he's been made new, by the Holy Spirit entering into his life, seeing his own true condition through the thinking of God, the desires of God, and the emotion of God about his own sin, he very clearly says what his problem was along with the rest of us. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regeneration is when the Spirit of God enters into your life because you've given your life to believing in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross. You've confessed that, you've stated it, and you believe he literally rose from the grave and that what he accomplished for you was atonement of your sin. And in that confession, in that belief system, you also have a belief about your sin and in the relationship to the cross that it's that bad and you begin to see things the way God sees things, and in that moment of accepting Jesus and his shed blood, the Spirit of God enters in. I'm not so much concerned about the timing, whether it's before your baptism, or it's the washing of regeneration, which is often tied together at the time of your baptism, or it's after your baptism. It happens in multiple ways when you're reading the book of Acts. I'm not concerned about the timing. I'm concerned about the reality, that the Spirit of God enters into your life because you now are able to confess the truth about your need and admit before God, I need a Savior. And you feel it. And you want to be saved, not just forgiven, but set free and changed to be able to honor God with who you are. And the Spirit of God will enable you to do so. That is regeneration. God will not deliver you from your problem until you agree that it is a problem and ask him for help. Point number one was those who are sad about their sin are blessed. Point number two. God's antidote to denial is more pain. God's antidote to denial is more pain. There are three common denial busters that God uses. He uses crisis, he uses confrontation, he uses catastrophe. And he uses all of these to bust up the denial when we will not agree in sadness with our thoughts, agreeing with the Holy Spirit's thoughts because he's entered into our lives, with our desires agreeing with the desires of God, the Holy Spirit, and our emotions agreeing with the Holy Spirit's emotions, when that is not taking place, we literally have joined the crowd on the broad road to destruction instead of the narrow road to eternity, and so God, knowing where we're heading in that denial, is willing, because he's more interested in our holiness than our happiness, he's willing to throw crisis, confrontation, or catastrophe in our direction. It's the most loving thing he can do to turn us around from the destruction that we're heading for. Crisis, like illness, stress, losing your job. God knows he's got to wake you up. He's got to shake you up out of the denial so that you will turn to him and admit you need him. You need to change. I need your help. Crisis. We rarely change when we see the light. 
We change when we feel the heat. Now, if you change when you see the light, that's great because you're saving yourself a lot of pain. But so many people don't change because they, aha, it's so true, I need to change. They wait till it hurts and they realize they've got to change. That was crisis. Confrontation. There's a saying in Texas, if somebody calls you a horse's rear, ignore it. If two people call you a horse's rear, look in the mirror. If three people call you a horse's rear, buy a saddle. (laughs) If three people call you a workaholic, buy a saddle. If three people call you an alcoholic, buy a saddle. If three people call, say, you need to get some help, buy a saddle. Actually, better yet, don't be a horse's rear. (laughs) Sign up for Regen. Only those who have been confronted, convicted, and feel sorrow will be comforted. This is what Jesus is talking about in his second statement, his kingdom manifesto. It's one thing to understand you're poor in spirit and you need a savior. It's another thing to actually feel it and know you need help. And we need to feel it to where we'll do what we need to do. Catastrophe, does this mean that he's harsh? It seems so harsh, but when you think about the alternative, this is very loving. If nothing else is working, confrontation isn't working, crisis isn't working, what has he got left? He's going to try to save you. And sometimes he just has to shake you down. A lot of people talk about I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going here. A lot of people talk about um, hitting bottom. Can I just tell you something? There is no bottom. You can keep going down, 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 straight into hell. The bottom is only the bottom if you turn around. The broad road of destruction is heading over the edge and down continuously. And God knows there are so many people comfortable and happy with their sin on the broad road to destruction that he's willing to shake us up because there's no bottom. The bottom is only marked for those who've repented and turned around and made that point the bottom. Do it as early as possible. Make the bottom a lot less painful because if you Wait till you hit the bottom. There might not be any more bottom, but also it could have been bottom here and you keep going down, more pain, more pain, more pain, more pain. You're waiting for the bottom? There's no bottom. It's more pain, more pain, more. If you would have just turned around up here, the bottom would have been so much less painful. More relationship would be intact. More family members would be there for you. More life is working, but if you keep waiting, the bottom is way more painful. And... There might not be a bottom. Those who are sad about their sin are blessed, point number one. God's antidote to denial is more pain, point number two. And point number three, turn to God with your sadness. Turn to God with your sadness. 
The earlier you do this, the more pain you'll avoid. Now, in reality, although this is hard-hitting, powerful truth, I want to say this with as much grace and kindness as possible. I know that the reality is, because I've dealt with this reality, we're good at denial. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we still don't quite want to change. We don't want to. Why? Because our particular sins have become our friends. And God cannot deliver you while your sins are your friends. He delivers us from our enemies. And you have to agree with God that our sin is a mortal enemy to who we are. And until you agree, not just with your head, but with your heart and with your will, and I think that comes through regeneration when the mind, will, and emotions of God enter into your life through the Holy Spirit. And his thoughts, his will, and his emotions start to shape your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. You come to the place where you can say, oh. Now, in all honesty, some of us aren't there yet, as is obvious by our own denial. We haven't done anything about it yet. What will it take? to admit to somebody else this thing that has mastered me and I cannot turn around. I can't stop it. Nor do I seem to want to. It's my friend. It's what makes me feel good. It's what makes me cope. It's what I do to kind of survive. It's what I keep going to. It's like my friend. What do you do? A couple of suggestions. One, pray. Why not be honest? God knows where you're at anyway. Maybe a prayer like this. Honestly, I'm not sure I want to change, but knowing what I know, I'm asking you, please, God, help me to be willing to change. Help me to want to change. Now there's an honest prayer. Start there. Follow that up with looking again at the cross. I'm going to share a couple of verses with you to help you do that. Zechariah 12.10 reads this way. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Now this Zechariah was written centuries before Jesus arrived on the scene for his earthly ministry. This is a prophecy about what is to come. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That my sin is what he is suffering for. My sin is what he took on. My sin is why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And literally is experiencing the reality of hell separation from a holy God and unholiness that he takes on himself so that he can set us free. If that doesn't affect your emotions, you're dead spiritually. And you need to cry out for the Spirit of God to enter in and make you alive. That regeneration would revisit 
the thoughts of God, the desires of God, the emotions of God, as it relates to how painful it was to let his son go through that because he loves you and me. Zechariah 13.1 reads, On that day a fountain will be opened to cleanse them from sin and impurity. The hope is real. The answer is reality. And we can opt on or miss it. Today's the day. Would you stand with me? I have said this statement over and over again. If you are willing to say the statement, it actually solidifies the ideas for yourself. So if you're willing to say the statement on the screen with me, let's say it out loud. Are you ready? God will not deliver you from your problem until you agree that it is a problem and ask him for help. Let's pray. I'm giving you some silence to just in your own words agree with God about something you want to change, that it is a problem and you want help. Lord God, we're so grateful for your great love. When the goodness of God our Savior appeared with his loving kindness to save us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, we don't have it. But according to your great mercy, through Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, Savior, we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two things you can do to follow up that prayer. You can go over to the prayer team and say, I need help, pray for me. And or... You can go out that door, turn right, go to the Regen sign-up table, and sign up. Make it a practical step to deal with this change. Go get prayer. Go sign up. God bless you. See you next week.